and to so many of us. I'm honored to have you in week two. Wasn't Micah amazing last week? Like his story was so good, so inspiring, and uh, I hope you got a glimpse into why I get to call him friend and, uh, and, and just spend time with him, and it was great. And I had the opportunity to go hang out with our Florence campus last week while Micah and the team was here with you. So let's give a shout out to Florence this morning. Come on. We love having you uh, today. Hey, listen, we are in week two of Won't You Be My, Won't you be my Neighbor, and so I'd love for you to take notes because uh, there's going to be some real practical stuff today, but as we're in this, we're talking about what does it look like to love our neighbor, and I just got to tell you, uh, we have a week coming up that's built into the calendar for you to make it real easy to love your neighbor by bringing them to church, and that week is, anybody know? Come on, it's Easter Sunday coming up in just... A few weeks, you've seen us start putting some information out about that. Uh, I want you to help me with something. I legitimately need your help. I believe that this Easter is going to be incredibly powerful as we go uh, on a journey of learning what it looks like uh, for the rise of the snake crusher this year and what it looks like for freedom and breaking addictions and how Jesus uh, stepped on the head of the serpent and the enemy has no stronghold over lives anymore. Come on, somebody. And uh, I'm just telling you, I believe this is going to be monumental. I believe lives are going to be changed forever. I'd love for you to help me with that. Let's pack out all of our services. Here in Columbia, we have a Good Friday service and we have three, our regular three Sunday mornings. Um, I want, man, I'd love to have standing room only at all three uh, here in Columbia. We have two services in Florence. 9.30 and 11, is that right? 9 and 10.30, I'm sorry. 9 and 10.30 in Florence. Um, and man, we just, we want to pack them out and watch God change lives. It's going to be, you know, we always have fun, but I'm just, I'm really more or less looking forward to people's lives being changed forever. So what I want you to do is help me do that. We have signs out in the lobby here in Columbia and in Florence. Grab those, grab a couple of them, a few of them, whatever. Put them out in your neighborhood, put them out at stop signs, put them out in your yard. Go help us get the word out for that. Share social media, grab your invites on the way out and help me pack out for Easter. Can y'all help me do that? Are we good with that? Come on now. I love it. All right. So we're in this series and you've heard me say this phrase a few times uh, over the course of 2023. And it's that I believe following Jesus and loving Jesus looks like something. I believe it looks like something. I don't think it's this abstract thing where you're like, hey, I love Jesus, but there's like nothing that makes anybody believe that. Come on, right? If I told you I love my wife, but you never saw my wife around, and you know, never saw me talk about, heard me talk about her or saw me post pictures about her, you'd probably go, is your wife imaginary? Come on, right? You know, and, and like, I just believe love looks like something. And so I guess the question really in life is, what does love look like? What does following Jesus look like? Look like there was a man in the, in the New Testament, in, in the book of Matthew, there was a man that, that was kind of wondering this, and honestly, he was wondering this to try to kind of fool Jesus a little bit, if we're going to be honest, okay? And, and he's in this thing, and he looks at Jesus, and he goes, hey, Jesus, I know all the commandments, right? Because in that day, as you were growing up, when you were a kid, you basically memorized the entire Torah. You, you memorized pretty much the whole Old Testament by the time that you were an adult. Like, I mean memorized. Like, if I looked at you and said, what was Exodus 12, 14? 
You, you know, that's our way of, of, of finding Scripture, but they would know, hey, what does God say about this? What does the Bible say about that? You, they would know it from the top of their heads, you know? And, and so he knows Scripture. He knows the commands. And in that day, whenever he was asking that, if you knew the commands of, of God, right, then you were considered pretty, pretty righteous. You were considered pretty holy. And, and so he said, Jesus, I know all the commands. And then he asked this question in, in verse 36 of Matthew chapter 22. We're really going to hang in the Gospels today. If you don't know what the Gospels are, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where we're really hanging out today, the first four books of the New Testament. But Matthew 22, and we're going to start in verse 36 at the beginning. He says this, he says, teacher, he's talking to Jesus. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Here's what he's saying. Jesus, I know all this stuff. But I need you to tell me what the greatest one is. Anyway, in other words, tell me the one thing that if I get it right, it doesn't matter if I get the rest wrong. How close, or this is how we ask it a lot of times and kind of subconsciously, how close to the line can I get? Right? He goes, listen, just tell me, what's the biggest, like, what's the big one, Jesus? Like, what's the one that I can't mess up? Like, I got all the other ones. And, and, and Jesus, he answers, he goes, okay. I think in his mind, he goes, okay, I'll play along. That's fine. Because the one he answers with actually encompasses all the rest. It's all the rest of them. He says it like this in verse 37. We're going to go through verse 40. Uh, verse 37 says it like this. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Wow. He goes, okay, number one, let's get this part right. Stop loving yourself and love God. Come on. You know, okay, that's pretty, pretty good. If you want a relationship with God, love God, right? That's like, hey, if you want a relationship with your wife, love your wife, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's not that difficult, right? So, okay, 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 God, I got that. And then he says this, this is great. This is the great and foremost commandment. So this is number one. And then he goes, but he doesn't stop there. This is what I love. He goes, the second is just like it. Whoa, hold on. Think about what he just said. He said, he said, the first and foremost, most important thing you can do is love God. Yeah. However, there's one more. That's one A, but there's a one AA. There's one right after it. And he says, this one, the second one is just like it. Here's what he says. The second one is like, like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then watch what Jesus says. And on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. He goes, listen, man, I know what you're trying to do. He goes, I'm going to play along for a minute. He goes, number one, you got to love God. He said, but there's not just a number one and two. There's a number one and a number one. Number one is you love God. Number two is you love who? Come on, you know the answer. Number two is your neighbor. You love your neighbor as yourself. And I've always looked at it, and this is just a, this is how my brain works. And I'm just throwing a question out there. I haven't done the theological study on this. So I'm just throwing a question. Maybe you could go home and do it too. But I, I just wonder if it says love your neighbor as yourself. It's not saying love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. What if he's saying love your neighbor at the same time as you loving yourself? What if he's saying, hey, you don't love yourself, but you can still love your neighbor? At the same time, 
Love your neighbor. I just think it's interesting. Again, it's just a thought, just something to think through for a few minutes. But he, he says it like this. He says, he says, you are to love God and love others. And can I just be real honest with you? It doesn't matter if you're in the Florence campus. It doesn't matter if you're in the Columbia campus. It doesn't matter any of that. Here's what matters. This verse, this scripture right here is the very reason this church exists. The very reason this church exists. Not for any other reason. This church is not to create platforms for people. This church is not to have the newest and the brightest and the greatest. And we may have all that. And as we grow, things will change. And, you know, we'll add things and all this. And we'll have all this stuff and all that as long as it draws people to Jesus. But can I tell you the one thing that we are all focused on at all times is to equip and empower people to reach their communities with the love of Jesus and impact their areas each and every single day. That's all we focus on. That's all we're about. It's not about anything else. That's why I'll open as many campuses as I can. That's why I'll create as many services as I need to. That's why I'll build as many rooms as I have to because as full as each room may get, no matter what time of the year it is, no matter if football season's around, and we all know football, if we lose at night, God help our Sunday attendance. <laughs> Time change happens. God help. I'm going to Bedside Baptist with Pastor Pillow and the Holy Comfort. And if I get the rest wrong, but I get those two right, Jesus tells me the rest works itself out. So I want to encourage you today. Maybe you just got to focus on loving God and loving others, and then your purpose will happen. And then your plan will take place. Whatever it is, something will take care of itself on the other side. So what does it look like to love others? How do we love others? Well, here's some ways. I'm, I'm going to give you some real practical ways in a minute. But here's some ways. You just be nice to people. Can we all agree that that's a good way to love people? Is being nice, you know? Like, don't throw up the number one salute. Okay? When they cut you off in traffic. Like, you don't have to tell them they're number one. They know. Okay, like, you know, like, be nice to the waitress that's taking forever to refill your Coke Zero. Like, just be nice. They're probably understaffed. Listen, I had a test of that this week. I'm just going to be honest, right? Just be nice to people. How about this? Tip well. Tip well, like, you know, like, go in, in, instead of the 15% tip or 20% tip. Go a little bit above if you, if you can. If you can't, that's fine. Don't do that. But if you can, in fact, I'd say like this. If you can't tip well, just don't go out to eat. Tip, tip well. Lo love them. Even write an encouraging note on it. Listen to others rather than try to under, uh, respond. Just listen. Just listen. That's really hard for me. It's really hard. I'll have a lot to say. You know, just listen. Be patient. That one's even harder for me. All right? Just be patient. Here, here's, but who do we reach? Who is our neighbor? Oh, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is everyone. Our neighbor is everyone. Here's, here's the truth. Our neighbor are those that we agree with. Our neighbor is those that are in ne next door proximity to us. Can I, can I tell you this? Our neighbor are the people that go to church with us. Our neighbor is the people that don't go to church with us. Our neighbor are the people that agree with us that we take a biblical stance on marriage. And our neighbor is the ones that don't agree that we, with us that we take a biblical stance in marriage. Our neighbor are the ones that... Um, that, that, that don't understand their gender and our neighbor are the ones that do. Come on. Y'all yeah. are like, it got tight real quick. <laughs> you know, our neighbor are Republican 
Our neighbor is Democrat, and our neighbor is third party. You know? Our neighbor, come on, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, let's just call it all out. Our neighbor is anybody that we're in proximity with. In that moment, we can love people right where we are. Jesus showed us how to do this in a real practical way. I'm going to ask Andy and LJ to join me up here on the stage for a few minutes today. um, Because... Jesus actually showed us what it looks like whenever he invited people to do something with him. Watch this. He invited people to sit with him. And honestly, it was that easy for him. He invited people of different stance, of different status of different backgrounds of different belief systems of different areas of life and he said let's just sit at a table and let's just talk let's just get in a place how confident are you that somebody being in your presence would make their life better that was jesus right he goes lj just being in my presence man will make you better Well, he was Jesus, pastor. He was the son of God. Yes, and the Bible tells me that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in me and you. So if his presence made people better, why can't mine? Why can't mine bring people closer to Jesus? He he sat with people, we'll look at like Zacchaeus. He sat with people like Matthew He sat with tax collectors, he sat with thieves, he sat with sinners, and he sat with disciples. He sat with priests, and he sat with murderers, often at the same table, all together in the same place. And here's why the table, I believe, is a perfect and beautiful representation and idea of what it looks like to love your neighbor, and it's because I believe the table is a common ground for people. When you're sitting at the table, you're sitting at the same height. You're you're, you're usually eating something similar of the same food, right? You're you're eating together. Your your defenses are are down. A, A table is representative of a place of conversation, so it would represent that Jesus was conversating, not monologuing with people, right? He was learning about them. It's a place of relationship, a time together, you know. I love having uh, time with my family at, at the dinner table when we can um, because it's a time where we build relationship. We talk about the day, maybe the week coming up. We, we pick on each other. That's my family's love language, right? We laugh a lot. We just sit at the table. Here's what loving your neighbor looks like. Loving your neighbor looks like making room for them at the table. It looks like, you ever been to a restaurant, right? And like, it's, you got this table and it's you and there's a couple of empty chairs. And like, this is one of those restaurants, I've been at one of these restaurants, it's one of those restaurants where like, people can sit at your, it's okay for random people to sit at your table. But in order to keep that from happening, you just start pushing chairs away. (laughs) Right? Right. I was at the airport not too long ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I sat at a little restaurant like that. And I just was like, took this chair and I was like, whoop, over to that table. You know, I didn't want to sit with anybody. I was just, I was tired. Like, leave me alone. I don't want to have these conversations, you know. It's all that stuff. Loving 
your neighbor looks like going, yeah, that, that seat's open for you. I have no idea who you are, but it's open for you. I don't agree with your stance, but it's open for you. You didn't vote the way I vote. It's open for you. You know, whatever that looks like, because here's why. Jesus invites all of us to join him at a table of love and redemption. And if Jesus invites all of us to sit at a table of love and redemption, who am I to move the chair of somebody else's seat? Well, I I would never do that. I would say on the contrary that when we don't love our neighbor, actively love our neighbor, we are probably moving the chair of someone else's seat. Come on, are you with me this morning? Let me give you some, some real practical things of ways that we can love our neighbor today. All right, y'all, y'all ready? Thank y'all for joining me up here. Next time, I'll have to think ahead. I'll have some croissants up here for you or something like that. You know, some bacon and eggs, whatever we need, right? Here, here's a way that we can love our, our neighbor. You ready? Embrace the person, not the problem. Everybody's got a problem, y'all. We all got a problem. I can look at you very confidently and go, you got a problem. And guess what? You can look at me very confidently and very boldly and go, you got a problem. Yes, that is correct. I do have a problem. Yes, I have a lot of them. Why? Because I'm human. And as we talked about in a relationship series, I'm complicated. You're complicated. I'm complicated. We're complicated. There's a common belief today that you can't embrace the person without the problem. There's a common belief today that is a myth that I Hey, I absolutely, absolutely abhor this statement. I can't stand it. it. It grates my nerves. You ever heard that phrase? It grates my nerves. You know, it's just bothering me. It's this, that I have to agree with you if I want to love you. How dare you disagree with me? Because you disagree with me, you don't love me the way Jesus would. Can I tell you something? And I mean this with all the literal love in my heart. Love does not equal agreement. Love does not equal agreement. I love my children. Do you think they really agree with me? No. When it's, hey, go do your chores, but I don't want to. Didn't ask that. It's time to go do your chores. You think they really agree with me on that? No. But they love me, and I love them. You think me and my wife see eye to eye all the time? (laughs) You ain't been married if you, you know. No. No. No, I, I want to watch sports all the time. She wants to watch home makeover shows. We disagree on this. That doesn't mean like, I don't love you. You want to watch home makeover and you want to watch sports and I, we don't love each other. It's not going to work. No, come on now. Love does not equal agreement. I, this is groundbreaking. LJ, you ready for this? This is groundbreaking. You can love people and disagree. You really can Andy, you can, love, you can disagree, you can hate somebody's stance and love the person. It's groundbreaking. Holy cow! In fact, John chapter 8, John chapter 8 in, in verses 1 through 11, there's this uh, story that takes place. I really want to read the whole thing to you because I, I think we, there's been a misunderstanding a little bit in it. It says this, it says, uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people who were, who were coming to him And he sat down and he began to teach. 
The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Y'all, let's be real today. Can we be adult and really look at it? She was sleeping with a man actively and they went in and pulled her out. And so I don't even know if she was clothed. She's in center court. They're about to stone her to death by, watch this, law they can do this. They want to know where Jesus stood on this. Set up. <laughs> now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Set up. They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds of accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. I don't know what he wrote in the ground, but that's going to be one of the first questions I ask him when I get to heaven. <laughs> Jesus, what would you write in the dirt, man? Because I got to know. Because that was a boss move, and it changed the course of history. <laughs> like, it really did. He said, and it wrote it on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up. All right, all right, all right, watch this. He's stooping down. He's stooping down. He's writing in the ground. And when they kept asking him, dude stood up. And y'all, Jesus wasn't like some skinny little guy from Elgin, South Carolina, like me. <laughs> Jesus was yoked. Like, I'm just telling you, he, you weren't a carpenter in that day. Like, it, weren't, it wasn't two-by-fours from Home Depot. You were building two-by-fours out of massive trees. This man was strong. He was yoked. He was, he was not like this passive-looking guy. He was like, come at me. This is all I need. <laughs> You know, like, and he stood straight up. I love this. And he straightened up and he said to him, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. First of all, what a statement. Second of all, the man can't keep his shirt from tightening on his biceps when he's saying it. And again, he stooped down. And he wrote on the ground. Still don't know what he wrote, but I want to know. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one. Beginning with the older ones, they were like, nah, I don't want no part of this. I see what's about to happen here. And he was left alone. And the woman, where she was, in the center of the court. Man, straightening up again. Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Now watch this. Watch this. This is where it gets good. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I, I don't condemn you either. Go. From, no on, from now on, go and sin what? Okay. Now here's the part where we get it confused. I've heard this taught over and over again. Jesus forgave her and did not worry about what she did wrong. I would actually argue the alternative. Why would he acknowledge her sin if he didn't care about what she was doing. What is sin? Sin is how far, literal definition, how far you've missed the mark. It's how far you've missed the mark. If you shoot for the bullseye and you hit, hit over here, the distance between the two is sin. Now watch this. He goes, go and sin no more. Why is that interesting? Jesus acknowledged the problem but never lost sight of the person. He was not okay with the problem, but he was always perfectly fine with the person. 
Here, here's, what, here's, here's what that tells me. There's two things. Number one, there's people in the room that you are so defined by your problem, you feel like you have no worth outside of it. That you are your problem. You are your depression. You are your anxiety. You are your addiction. You are your alcohol. You are your gender. You are your job. You are this. You are that. I need to tell somebody in the room today, your problem is not your destination. Your problem is not the person. The person is who God says that you are. The person is that who Jesus died on the cross for. The person is who God embraces. The person is what God is after, not the problem problem God looks at a problem and says the problem can be fixed the person needs to be embraced everybody around her wanted to stone her for the problem and Jesus said how about this if you don't have a problem in the area you throw the first stone no I got a problem too I'm looking at this on the internet and I'm saying these things and I'm acting this way with my spouse and I'm this and I'm that we all got problems that's the per that's the point but it's not okay to go, you got a problem, get away from me. When you don't have a problem, come back. In fact, the table of Jesus is full of people that have problems. We have to learn in society and in life that you don't have to see eye to eye. You just have to see who God meant them to be. Everybody is a child of God. No matter their stance, no matter who they are, no matter what relationship they're in, doesn't mean you agree with it, doesn't mean that you like it, doesn't mean that God's for it, it means that they're still a child of God. Now, whether they walk in that or not is up to them, not us. But we can love them closer, which leads me to point number two, is you, number one, you embrace the person, not the problem. Are you with me today? Number two, you point people to Jesus. Don't point people to you. Point people to Jesus. In fact, if people are pointed to you, that's okay. It's just your job to now deflect them to Jesus. Some people are natural leaders. You know how I find people for staff and for leaders and, and all that? Who do people, who are they magnetized to? Who do people automatically congregate to? Why? Because people just like them. Now, what do they do with that? If they build a platform off of it for themselves, red flag. If they build a platform off of it to point people to Jesus... We can talk. Are you with me? Point people to Jesus. If we really believe, if we're sitting at this table, if we're sitting in this room today in Columbia, if you're sitting in Florence today, and you really believe Jesus changed his lives and his encounter can change everything, wouldn't it be kind of pointless for us to go, Jesus changes everything. I'm just not asking you to be a part of what he changes. No. If Jesus really changes everything, in fact, in Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, um, verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 through 10. I'm going to have to hurry up a little bit, guys. Luke 19, 1 through 10 says it like this. He entered Jericho, being Jesus, and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Doo -doo. Climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Doo -doo. All right, anyway. He was a... <laughs> I have too much fun in church. He was a chief, I don't know that that's possible though, to be honest with you. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Why was he rich? Because he robbed people. So if you owed $100 in taxes, Zacchaeus would charge you $150 and keep the 50. So not only did he get paid to collect the taxes, he also got paid because he would tax you for the taxes, right? Shipping and handling. 
<laughs> Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. See, I told you the song was theologically correct. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree, told you, in order to see what he could see or see him. I cannot read this story ever without that song going through my head. For he was about to pass through that way. What would a church look like that was so hungry that we would climb any height and go over any obstacle just because we heard Jesus might be passing through on a Sunday? I just got to see him. This man didn't even believe yet. And I just got to see him. I just got to see him. Let me keep going. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down for today. I must stay at your house. Whoa. Let's keep going. And he hurried and he came down and he received him gladly. I don't know if he hurried by climbing down or jumping down. But he came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they being the religious folks, when they saw it, they all began to grumble saying, he is going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. How dare he? Ooh. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was what? Lost. Point them to Jesus. Here's a man, a thief. And all it took was Jesus going, let me sit at the table with you. And it not only changed Zacchaeus' life, it now changed the life of everybody Zacchaeus was connected to. It changed their life. If Jesus has really changed your life, how dare we hold it to ourselves? It should change everybody around us. Loving our neighbor looks like that. Let me tell you like this. <laughs> there is a way to love people without being controversial. Groundbreaking, I know. And Jesus talks about it. And he says there's... There's a way to do it, and it's these two things. Grace, and anybody know what the next one is? And truth. Here's what grace means. Grace, uh, the original word is carice. Here's what carice means. That which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, and grace of speech. Grace should give joy, pleasure, Delight. Grace should be sweet and charming and lovely. It's grace. Here's what the original word for truth, aletheia. Aletheia. And it says this, what is true in any manner under any consideration? Truth, he says it this way, is true, this is a literal definition, in any manner no matter who's sitting at the table or what topic is being discussed, truth is truth. Now here's why grace and truth are important. Grace without truth is passive. 
It's where we get the, you have to agree with me if you say that you love me. We want grace, but not truth. But truth without grace is a jerk. I just say what is on my mind, Pastor. It's just how I'm wired. No, it's not. It's how you've chosen to be. You don't have to be that way. I can be that way. I, I naturally lean towards just black and white. But there's moments where truth needs a little grace behind it. Of Andy, you're new in this journey with God. Here's the truth. Now the grace is I'll walk with you. I'll pray with you. God loves you where you are, but his grace loves you too much to leave you there. Or his grace loves you where you are, but his truth loves you too much to leave you there. We can love each other and point people to Jesus with grace and truth. Can I tell you, grace without truth doesn't always point people to Jesus. Sometimes it lets them get stuck in their own sin. But truth without grace doesn't always point people to Jesus. Sometimes it turns them in the complete opposite direction. So when we learn the two, it can make a difference. Zacchaeus' life was changed just by being around Jesus. That's why we point people to Jesus. So we embrace the person, not the problem. We point people to Jesus. And number three, let me me give you this one real quick. It's going to seem self-serving, but I need you to hear me out. You can love your neighbor by bringing them to church. And that's the honest to God answer. I toiled and, and tried to figure out what I wanted to preach and how I wanted to do this today. And in Luke chapter 5, 17 through 20, it says it like this. One day he was teaching and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from the very village of Galilee and Judea. And of the Lord was present, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him, but not finding a way, any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with the stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus, seeing their faith. Their faith. Who was they? The friends. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. The friend's faith was enough to offer freedom to a man that had to have it. Why is bringing somebody to church loving your neighbor? Because if God is really doing something there and you really love your neighbor... It might benefit their eternity to drop them in the presence of Jesus in that place. Can I, can I tell you something? I don't hand out invite cards because I like buying new ones all the time. I don't hand out invite cards every week because it's like, hey, I hope you do something with these. It's because maybe that invite card represents a pallet. And you're carrying it. And whoever you give it to will drop them in the presence of Jesus that next Sunday that they come. Are you with me? Bringing them to church matters. Makes a difference. It's a way to love your neighbor. In fact, Easter coming up is the perfect opportunity to go, you know what? I'm bringing some people to church. I'm loving my neighbor this year. Matthew 9, 10 through 13 says it like this. Then it happened. 
that as Jesus was reclining at the table at the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? (laughs) But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Here's what he's saying. You know me. I don't have to sit at a table for you for your life to be changed forever. They don't. I have to sit at a table with them for their life to be changed forever. And here's what I want everybody to know today. We can all make a difference. We can all make a difference. If you've given your life to Jesus, you can make a difference. Love your neighbor. Well, that's hard. Is it though? Is it though? Yeah, some people are hard to love. I'll give you that. Let's be honest. Sometimes I'm hard to love. But if we just love our neighbor, if we embrace the person, not the problem, if we point them to Jesus, and if we bring them to church, can you imagine what would happen in this community Community, if we said, I'm not just out to reach my two or three good friends. I'm out to reach everybody that is considered a neighbor to me. I'm out to reach as many as possible because we can all, all make a difference. Loving your neighbor doesn't have to be hard, but it, can, it is necessary, and it's bringing a table, a chair, going to sit with me let's just talk about football for a minute and I want you to experience what it looks like to be somebody that loves life and loves God and what if that changed lives life groups are great for that in fact I'm so passionate about this right now I want to I, I want to I've been in the works with this with my staff it's been a few weeks it's, it's been one of those last minute projects to be honest because I just really felt like the Lord kind of downloaded it on my life and I, I want you to be a part of it and here's what we're going to call it in Colombia we're going to call the initiative for the 803 in Florence we're calling the initiative for the 843 that's the area code of the two areas and here's, here's what I want you to know. Who is your neighbor? Well, in Columbia, your neighbor is about 100,000 people within just a few miles from where you're sitting today. In Florence, your neighbor is about 47,000 people within just a few miles of where you sit today. What is this initiative? What is the 4 to 8, 803? What is 4 to 843? It is literally people signing up for an initiative to go, I want to be about this area. I want to love my neighbor. I want to do what I've got to do to embrace the person, not the problem. I want to do what I got to do to point people to Jesus. I want to do what I got to do to bring them to church and to the presence of Jesus. What does that look like? Here's what the for, for the, for the um, initiative looks like. When you sign up, there's a, there's a, there will be a QR code on each screen. All you got to do is point your camera at that and sign up. And here's why we want to sign up. We want to stay in contact. We want to pray with you. We want to hear your stories. But here's the thing. You will get something starting next week. You'll get a bag. And in that bag, it's going to be full of invite cards, You Matter cards. It's going to be full of information. It's going to be full of ideas. It's going to be full of Easter information, all kinds of things to help you actively and creatively love your neighbor every single day. Because we're for the 803. 
and we're for the 843, but here's the thing. I can't reach as many people by myself as I can with you. So I want you to help me sign up with that. I want you to help me reach people. I want you to help me just be real intentional and real strategic to do everything we can to drop people into the presence of Jesus every single day of our lives. Because literally, heaven and hell depend on it. Their eternity depends on it. Love God and love your neighbor. Won't you be my neighbor? What an invitation. What an opportunity to make a difference with the love of Jesus. Here's what I want to do. I just want to pray with you and for you. And then on the way out, after I say amen, on the way out, you know, you're going to have the opportunity to grab your Easter invite cards and sign up again for that initiative. And as we get that moving and off the ground, and we're going to go out there, we're going to give out invite cards like crazy, and we're just going to pray for people, and we're going to love our neighbor. If you would, bow your heads with me this morning. If you're in the room and you'd like to give your heart to Jesus today, I'd love nothing more than to pray that with you. Walk that out with you. If that's you, and you'd go, I need to give my life to him. I need to ask for forgiveness and start a new life. Can I ask you to just, right where you are, just hold your hand up real high. Just go, Pastor, I need to give my life to Jesus today. That's the first way I can love my neighbor is by letting Jesus love me. God, I thank you. God, for anybody in the room that wants to give their life to Jesus, whether they raised their hand or whether they didn't, but they still want to know what that looks like, God, I pray that they would walk by a care corner. They'd walk by and go, I, I need to know more about what this giving my life to Jesus looks like and let somebody pray with them and talk with them. But God, we want to take your commandments seriously. And so God, help us love you. Help us love you in worship. Help us love you in the word and in life. And God, help us love our neighbor. Help us reach the 803. Help us reach the 843. God, there's so many people out there. And if we can reach, if our church could reach 5 to 10% of them, it would change the community forever. While other churches reach 5 to 10% apiece. God, help us expand the kingdom and love our neighbor.